book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, and we're going to be in verse 11 today. And as Pastor Rod mentioned, this is the series finale for the book of Acts. And, and so I thought, what better way to begin than by talking about other similarly anticipated series finales from pop culture. And so uh, I've brought a few of these, and we'll test your pop culture IQ here. This is one of the more spiritual ones. Um, so Seinfeld, maybe one of the best-known comedies of all time. How, how many of you remember what happened on the series finale of Seinfeld? Spoiler alert. Anybody? They all go to jail for life for all of the horrible things they've done over the course of the show. Is that true? Is that right? That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. No, no sort of feel-good resolution, jail for life, um, which, you know, I think that's deserved if you know George Costanza. Uh, so that's one series finale. Number two, well-known series finale. I remember watching this in college and paying someone to flip the circuit breaker right at the very end. Um, what was the big... <laughs> What was the big question in the series finale of Friends? Anybody remember this? Will Ross and Rachel get together? Right? And you'll have to watch it to find out if you don't know the answer to that. That's very, that was big, 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 big um, important information in the early 2000s. Next up, The Office. The Office, one of my favorites. And I think on the series finale of The Office, if you haven't seen it, um, Dwight Schrute, spoiler alert, gets married in a very romantic ceremony, like all the Schrutes standing in his own grave. Um, it makes it more serious. And, and who comes back to be the best man? I'm going to spoil every TV show. You've ever, Michael comes back, right? And he's the best man. And that's sort of the big uh, tearjerker moment, right? And then one more. This is one of... Um, I've heard this is popular. Last one. The Gilmore Girls. And I did some research on this, and the answer to what happens is, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> so that's, uh, <laughs> that's the answer, and, and I might find out from my wife later that I'm in trouble. But um, it's always good to alienate half your audience right out of the gate. So, that's, those are some well-known series finales, but the, the question in the series finale is like, what are we going to learn at the end of this story that sort of ties a bow around this and, and is important as we go on into the future? And so here we are, the series finale of the book of Acts with no further ado, Acts 28, beginning in verse 11. It says this, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the, uh, in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux, and we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Tutioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, 
Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but I was not guilty of any crime deserving of death, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And they replied, we have not received any letter from Judea concerning you, and none of our people have come from there as reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word. If you remember last week, we sort of reiterated the focus of this series as we look at sort of the finish line in the book of Acts and in the life of Paul is this question, how do we, be, how do we become people who finish well? And we said um, our culture is full of people who are good at starting things. And we mentioned things like you know, gym memberships in the month of January and, and all that sort of thing. But how do we become people who, who finish well? And we said last week that if life is like a race, everybody finishes. But, but not everybody finishes well. And so we focused on Paul and his example of a, of a person who didn't start well, but who became obsessed with finishing well. And we've asked sort of how can we finish that way? How can we finish, to use sort of a, an appropriate uh, analogy, like Katie Ledecky, in the Olympic swimming pool and not like the gentleman in charge of the chlorine in the Olympic diving pool, right? Have you seen that? There's like a lily pad or something. Uh, uh, like how do we finish well? And so Paul's been our, our sort of case study in, in what that looks like. And so we've got basically three more um, sort of insights into that from this, the, the, the series finale, the end of the book of Acts. Number one. Number one, you could say it this way. We finish well when we refuse to waste our trials 
and we refuse to waste our waiting. Finishing well means refusing to waste even the difficult moments, the trials, and refusing to waste the waiting in, in our life. If you've followed this series, um, Paul is like literally at the end of the book of Acts waiting on a trial. And so we've got these two themes of trial and waiting, but beyond sort of just the literal trial that he's waiting for, it's been basically one um, difficult experience after another interspersed with ministry and service. I mean, he's, he's, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's falsely accused, he's, he's ferried about, he's shipwrecked, he's bitten by a snake, he's chained up to a Roman soldier. I mean, these are, these are genuine, difficult experiences. And Paul is somebody who not only endures trials, but he refuses to waste his trials. Don't waste your trials could be sort of one of the, one of the conclusions we draw from how to finish well. And uh, a few years back, the, the well-known Christian um, pastor, teacher, theologian, John Piper, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And, and he was beginning cancer treatment like, like many of you or some of you have done or are doing now. And he wrote a book while he was undergoing this sort of this treatment and the uncertain future. And the name of the book was Don't Waste Your Cancer. And I saw that. I was like, this is, this is a very strange <laughs> way to think about cancer. Don't waste, like almost as if it's like an opportunity, right? And, and the premise of this book is that, I mean, he, he said at the very beginning, look, I believe in prayer. I believe that God heals. And if you follow the story, he's been cancer-free now for, for years. But I also think that this trial, this cancer, is an opportunity for me. Um, it's an opportunity in, in several ways. And he lists off some ways that trials, even cancer, become opportunities to grow and to minister um, he, says, he says, you will waste your cancer if you believe that it's a curse from God, that you're somehow being punished. We talked about that last week, right, where the big sort of big idea was that grace trumps karma. And there's this karmic view of reality where Paul gets bit by the snake and all the islanders think he must be a murderer and he doesn't die and all the islanders think he must be a god. And he says, you will waste your trial, you'll waste your cancer if you see it as this sort of curse, this punishment from God. He says, you'll waste your cancer if you seek more comfort from your odds than you do from God. You'll waste it if you seek comfort just from your odds. He says, you'll waste your cancer if you refuse to think about death. Death is one of those things as Americans, we sort of push to the fringes of our consciousness, whereas in other parts of the world it's much more in your face. We, we sort of push it to the edges because who wants to think about um, death, morbid things, and, and occasionally it, it crashes into us in, in one way or another. He says it's actually a good thing to be reminded that there is a finish line um, for all of us, and you'll, you'll waste your cancer, he says, if you try to ignore that. He says you'll waste it if you, if you let it drive you into loneliness and solitude instead of deepening your relationships. Don't waste your trial. And Paul is a guy at the end of the book of Acts 
who is continuing to minister, to evangelize in the midst of, in the midst of, in the midst of trials. And so I saw a recent um, story on an NFL player, a guy by the name of Steve Gleason. You may have seen this story. And I thought, man, this is like a perfect example of a horrific trial. It's a trial that's hit my family recently with this disease called ALS. Um, but it's also a perfect example of somebody saying, I'm not going to waste this trial. I'm going to engage with it mournfully, right? It's not that it's just fun or anything like that, but I'm going to make the most of it. And so we're going to watch a very short video clip of how he's attempted to live out this sort of Pauline approach to trials. We'll watch that, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more. I think it's such an amazing thing that both of you said to me yesterday, even if it rains, we have each other, our family and friends are going to be here. And isn't that really, as all us married people know, it's how we act, not when things are great, but how do we act when things are difficult? When I first got to know him, he had long hair and played for the NFL. That was going to be a complete cheese ball. Steve Gleason was responsible for one of the most dramatic moments in New Orleans Saints history. Steve blocking the punt was like the rebirth of something really big. He was just like the superhero athlete, but also super smart. He was just the greatest thing I've ever met. I've been having some strange medical issues going on recently. I have been diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. This disease is almost always fatal. My first reaction was, he's telling me this, but I don't necessarily believe what he's saying. God, if you have some control over this, then save me. I don't want Michelle to be here by herself. Just because I'd have to help take care of him, it wasn't a big enough reason not to have all the beautiful things a baby bring to a family. I am making a video blog for you, my child. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hey, how are you? Oh, how are you now? My intention is to pass on as much of who I am as I possibly can to you. We're doing really the coolest thing we can do together, right? That's right. That's my boy, Rivers. That's my boy. I'm going to be around, buddy, until you are able to stand on your own. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be awesome. My future is bigger than my past. It's easier to make a difference with the world versus the reality of hardness it is to maintain relationships. His main purpose now is being at the best dad that he can be. That's all that matters is me passing myself to you. Family, friends, dating, obstacles, insecurities, religion, love. That's what dads do. They pass the best of themselves to their kids. That's a trial. That's, that's a trial. And what Steve Gleason would say, even in the midst of like getting a, a terminal diagnosis, right at the same time you find out that your young wife is, is pregnant, that you don't sort of defeat cancer or ALS or something like that by staying in remission necessarily. You, you conquer by refusing to let it steal your joy and your witness. And so one of the things we've, we learn in this passage from the entire book of Acts is the people who finish well, they finish well in the midst of trials. 
and they refuse to waste even, even, their, even their trials. There's two ends. I heard somebody say recently, there's two ends to every chain. In verse 20 of the passage we just read, Paul says, it's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain, this trial of being imprisoned and essentially on death row. But there's two ends to every chain. And I have to think that the soldier that Paul is chained to is getting some remarkable <laughs> exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have to think that the people who are coming to hear from this guy who's literally chained up, there's two sides, there's two ends of every trial, of every chain, and we can either sort of curl up in the fetal position of life or we can refuse to waste even our, our trials. The second part of that, not only refuse to waste our trials, we see from Paul, we refuse to waste our waiting. Right? Probably not many of us can say, oh yeah, I can, some of us perhaps, but I'm, I'm dealing with a cancer diagnosis or I'm, you know, something like Steve Gleason. But all of us um, are tempted to sort of shirk our, our witness, our, our, our responsibilities in the midst of just waiting, the waiting aspects of life. And if, I think it would have been easy for Paul if it were me. Here he is, he's been on this just circuitous, crazy um, voyage to Rome. He finally gets there. He's waiting for his trial before Caesar Nero. And it would have been possible to just sort of hunker down in his rented home and wait for the big event on the calendar. His, his trial before Caesar Nero. And if he would have done that, he would have missed so many opportunities um, to witness, to evangelize, um, to work for the good. He would have wasted his, his waiting. Um, I did some research this week. We spend 48 days on hold <laughs> in this course of a lifetime. So much of our life is spent waiting, waiting in line, waiting at the DMV. We spend time waiting. And when you're waiting on a big event in your life, maybe that's the job that you want to have or the spouse that you want to have or you're in the course of getting a degree that you want to have, while you're in this sort of intermediate waiting period like Paul is as he waits for his trial, it's easy to just sort of hunker down and, and just not focus on other people, not focus on ministry. And Paul doesn't do that. It says three days. It says this in verse 17. Three days after arriving, he calls together all the Jewish leaders. And in verse 23, he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. He doesn't just hunker down and wait for his trial. He doesn't waste his, his waiting. Um, I, I talk about this with students. Pastor Rod mentioned the book um, I recommended a while back um, by a guy named Jerry Sitzer, Gerald Sitzer. It's called The Will of God as a Way of Life. And he tells a story in his life where he was sort of wrestling, I've told this story before, wrestling between um, ministry and medicine as the two careers. And how he was just tying himself up in knots about this decision. Should I leave medical school and go into the ministry? And he, he's, he's trying to decide this. And at some point his wife just looked at him and said, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I just want my husband back. And in this intermediate period of waiting, you're missing out on God's will 
in the present moment. Um, opportunities to love your family and to be present in, in, this, in this moment. Don't waste your waiting. Some of you are waiting right now. Like I mentioned, for, for a job, you're, you want to have a kid and it hasn't happened yet. You're, you're waiting to see what oil prices do, as a lot of people are in Bartlesville. And I think the Apostle Paul would say, um, don't waste this intervening period. Don't waste your waiting. We finish well when we refuse to waste our trials and when we refuse to waste our waiting like Paul does. Number two, number two. We finish well when we realize that the sower is not the grower of the fruit. We finish well when we realize that the person who sows the seeds is not the person who grows the seeds. Um, when you minister, when you evangelize, when you parent, when you teach, when you lead, um, you are the sower of a seed into people's lives, but you are not the grower of the seed. It says this in verse 24. This is Paul. This is like the greatest missionary, evangelist, church planner who's ever lived. And it says this, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. All right, so if you ever get sort of despairing that you've sown seeds into people's lives and you don't see the fruit, this is, this is Paul. He, he even quotes from the book of Isaiah that says, this is kind of going to be part of your ministry. You're going to go to people who are going to be ever um, hearing but never perceiving, ever looking but never seeing. There's going to be this mixed reaction to you sowing seeds into people's lives, and that's just part of it because as, as God's uh, missionary, you are the sower, you're not the grower. And some of, for some of us, myself included, it's not, that's not something we like um, to hear, that we can't force results in people's life. We can't force transformation. Um, and so the reason this matters, this, 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 this point about sort of being the sower and not the grower, is that if you think that you are responsible for life change in somebody else, one of two things will happen you will either succeed, see it, and become arrogant, or you will fail and become sort of despairing and think that it's your fault. And the first one where you see some sort of fruit and you sort of think that I did it correctly, you'll, you'll basically turn um, the gospel into a strategy that can be mastered. You'll turn it into a, a technique that can be mastered if only you sort of work hard enough. Uh, I saw an interview with uh, an Olympic swimmer, I can't remember which one, and they said, you know, what's the secret? Why are you so good? And the swimmer said, there's no secret. Um, it's just hard work. I work harder. And I have no doubt that that swimmer works really, really hard, right? I also know that Michael Phelps has size 14 feet. <laughs> <laughs> that his ankle flexes 20 degrees further than a normal human ankle, and he has the wingspan of a seven-foot-tall man, right? 
And it's, so, so is hard work involved in seeing fruit in any area of life, whether it's evangelism or in whatever your job? Or, yeah, absolutely, hard work is involved. But there's more than just strategy and technique. Right? I can work as hard as I want to be an Olympic swimmer, and it's never going to happen, right? It's never going to happen. Um, I had a friend who's here today. She swims laps every week at the Y, and she said this week she was swimming laps like she always did and always does, and she noticed this weird thing. There was um, people were doing like the butterfly, and like an older guy busted his head on the side trying to do a flip turn, and she, like two or three people were doing flip turns, sort of. And she's like, "What is going on?" It's like, "Oh, it's the Olympics. It's everyone is trying to be." the next, you know, Michael Phelps. It's, and so there's hard work. There's a part in which that, that plays in seeing fruit. If you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you're a pastor, if you're a, a Bible study leader, but there is more than just hard work and will and technique to seeing fruit. You are the sower and not the grower of fruit. And there will always be a mystery to who listens and accepts and who says exactly what they said to Paul here, eh, no thanks. And so the second part of that is if you fail, that you despair and you blame yourself. If you are a parent, as I am, you're the sower and not the grower. Right? My daughter starts kindergarten this week, and that's hard. Um, um, I wish that there was just some formula to parenting, to make sure your kids grew up and never had any problems and loved Jesus and all that. But I'm just the sower. I'm not the grower. If you're a school teacher, you're the sower, not the grower. If you're a social worker, if you're a youth leader, if you're a mentor, if you're a Stephen minister, if you're a spouse, we are sowers. And our job is to be faithful and to leave the results to God. People who finish well know that. They know that, as difficult as it is. And so as Paul's preaching here at the end of the book of Acts, some accept it, some don't. And Paul continues on doing his very best to just be faithful in, in sowing those, those seeds into people's lives. The sower, not the grower. Lastly, we finish well, people finish well. When we learn to love and to live within the story God has given us, rather than the one we might have written. When we learn to love and live within the story God's given us, rather than the one we might have written. A lot of people ask questions like, if this is a series finale of the book of Acts, they ask this question, well, why does it sort of end anticlimactically, some scholars have asked. We don't get Paul going before Nero. Like, wouldn't you like to hear that? Like, he's like preaching to, to Nero. Um, we don't get like the big Braveheart death scene where he's like, freedom, and goes out like a like a martyr hero. Um, there's no crucifixion. There's no, I mean, it, it just ends. The screen sort of just like one series finale recently just sort of fades to black as Paul is waiting to hear 
what his fate is going to be. And so there's different scholars have different theories on why the book of Acts ends like that. One scholar proposed that there was this longer, really awesome ending, and then it got lost. <laughs> That's not the majority view. Another idea, which is probably um, far more credible, is that part of the reason the book of Acts is written is as a, as a defense document for Paul's trial. And so, of course, it chronicles his ministry. Of course, it chronicles the early Christian movement, but it stops before his trial because it was written to sort of tell the story of his ministry partly for his trial and for perhaps um, the, the legal status of other Christians in the Roman Empire. So it just sort of ends. Um, the screen just sort of fades to, bl to black. And a third answer, which sort of fits with the second one, is that it ends like it does because it is sort of a fitting bookend to the Great Commission. Here's the Great Commission. You're going you're gonna to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts ends with Paul being Christ's witness in the, the city that is the most important city in the world. And this tiny minority sect has suddenly become a force to be reckoned with in the most powerful city under Caesar's nose. Um, it's, a, it's a culmination to the Great Commission, even though we don't get this big sort of resounding crescendo with Paul before Caesar. A lot of people um, would like to have kind of heard more, to be filled in a little bit more on what happened next. And, 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 and like I said, with Paul before Caesar and what happened, what we, he, Paul just sort of disappears from the pages of history. We don't know if he was executed right away. We don't know if maybe he was released for a while and got to go on this last sort of missionary journey to Spain like he always wanted to do, the sort of ends of the earth that he mentioned. We don't know. The story just sort of ends. And there's these, these question marks that hang over even the series finale, the end of the book of Acts. That's the story we've been given. Um, even though it's not the story that some scholars would like, sort of the rest of the story, for, to quote Paul Harvey. The reality is that some of us are like that, not just when we look at how the book of Acts ends, but when we look at the story of our life. Um, and in some cases, I'll be honest, I would far rather be God's editor than his ambassador. <laughs> I would far rather be his editor than his ambassador, and sort of like, yeah, this is the that's, that's the story you've given me, but I want to make a few tweaks, right? There's some things here, and, and I, I would rather sort of be the editor than the ambassador, and Paul finishes well because he is committed to being Christ's ambassador no matter how the story goes, whether he's under house arrest or whether he's free. He's committed to loving and living within the story that God has given him. My wife is reading a book on this right now. I think I brought a picture of it. Uh, it's by a, a lady by the name of Alexandra Kuykendall, Loving My Actual Life. And whenever your wife's reading books like this, you're sort of like, what am I? Like, loving your actual husband, not the one. Um, so 
but it's a good book and I borrowed it. And, and this is one of the things. <laughs> she, she's in second service. She'll, um, one of the things she says is this. How does one fully savor the right here when there seem to be barriers in the way? The if-onlys and the wins. If only I had more money or more time, I could. When I have this in place, then I could dot, dot, dot. I couldn't wait for the perfect life to arrive to enjoy it. I needed to work with what I had right in front of me. I needed to learn to love my actual life. I needed a reordering, a restart, a recalibration of my days. Finishing well, as Paul does, is learning to love and to live into the story that God has given you right here and and right now. And so he's, yeah, I'm waiting for this trial, but in the meantime, I'm going to minister to as many people as I can. Yeah, I'm I'm chained up, but I'm not going to waste my trial, I'm going to keep sowing seeds, even if, even if it's difficult, even if not everybody hears. And, and while Acts ends, Paul's life ends, we know almost certainly um, with what would seem like a tragedy. I mean, according to tradition, after uh, the story leaves off here in the book of Acts, um, he's eventually beheaded by Nero. And it would seem, just like Jesus, that Paul's life ends as an utter failure. A Paul scholar I know says, you can paint a picture of the end of Paul's life that is incredibly dark. Sitting there wondering if any of these fledgling little communities that are fractured by fights and divisions and false teachings are ever going to grow and amount to anything. And you can paint a picture of of a very difficult ending. And yet, God takes that difficult ending and the trial and the waiting and the sowing of seeds and he uses this very imperfect guy, a murderer like Paul, to be his ambassador. Because Paul said, I'll do that instead of being your editor. I'll do that. And God uses his life to grow the most unlikely, the most powerful movement that has ever swept planet Earth. People look at the book of Acts and it gives a clue as to how the church exploded the way that it did. But historians to this day are sort of shocked by how it happened. I mean, this tiny group of Christians, they were not the wealthiest. They were not the smartest. Paul even says, not many of you were wise, right? And God uses them in the midst of trials and waiting and failures to reach an an entire world. Don't waste that opportunity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this this finale to the book of Acts. And we thank you for the lessons that we've, that we've learned all along the way from Paul on what it looks like to finish well. Not to finish perfectly, but to finish well. And we pray that we would, we would live into that story, that we would 
we wouldn't waste our trials, that we wouldn't waste our waiting, even the mundane parts of life, that we would keep sowing seeds into the lives of our, our friends, our family, our children, our coworkers, and that we would trust you to bring beauty and growth out of our life. Despite all the twists and turns, the imperfections, to bring resurrection as you've done in Jesus Christ. We put our trust and our hope in him as we launch into a new season of the year. And we ask that you would continue to shape us in the image of your son. It's in his name we pray and we celebrate. Amen.